I'm Marianne Kolbesak McGee, Executive Editor at Information Security Media Group. Today I'm speaking with privacy attorney Kirk Nara of the law firm Wilmer Hale about potential privacy and security regulatory and legislative developments that we might see under the new Biden administration and Congress. So, Kirk, as the Biden administration settles in, what are some of the top privacy and security related actions or developments that you think that we most likely might see and why? So there's a lot, obviously, going on in the area. It's not necessarily been a topic that I've seen the Biden administration or the campaign focus on much. The one thing that we've seen them focus on recently, again, driven by external events more than anything else, is cybersecurity issues, whether it's the solar winds or nation state attacks or in general. So I would expect a lot of attention from the administration, and you can already see this with appointments and things like that. I would expect a lot of attention on cybersecurity issues. But we should probably put that to one side because that's system issues and national security and a variety of things that aren't really tied to privacy. You know, and privacy, I think we're talking about a couple of developments that we'll see, you know, big picture government developments. And one of the questions is how much the Biden administration is going to impact, influence, push some of those developments. Those are, so those are regulatory developments. Those are legislative developments. And then there will be, I guess, the legislative developments, there are some diplomatic issues related to international data transfer issues, which again is an issue that's been sort of put in front of the Biden administration that they're going to have to deal with whether they want to or not. So, Kirk, if you do start digging into some of these regulatory and legislative issues, what kind of rises to the top? So let's start with the regulatory, just because that may be a little a little easier, and those are things that are sort of moving on their own pace. So, as you know, I deal a lot with healthcare privacy issues, and there's a pending rulemaking proceeding at HHS to make some modifications to the HIPAA rules. It's a reasonably important set of proposals. I don't know that there are controversial proposals, but one of the questions the Biden administration is going to have, you know, right up front, and this is both specific to this rulemaking and general to their approach to rulemaking, is whether they're going to, they're going to have this rulemaking even continue. My expectation, given what we've been hearing, is that they're going to put a stop to this HIPAA rulemaking for the time being, mainly to figure out if they want to push it forward or not. It's an interesting little quirk at the end of the current administration, which is they published, this this is sort of in the weeds for um, people that follow government (laughs) regulations, but they published the final rule in an informal version back in early December. It hasn't actually been published in the Federal Register yet. So the clock isn't even ticking yet. I don't know why they're delaying. And if they don't publish it in the Federal Register before January 20th, it's not going to get published at all. (laughs) And so it may not even, the Biden administration may not even have to do anything to to stop this. But that's an interesting development. It focuses on, I'll say, two big picture topics. One is improving the ability of patients to get access to their own healthcare information, which I think is a generally consensus-supported set of ideas. And then a somewhat more complicated set of issues involving creating opportunities for additional disclosures of information to help 
with what the administration has been calling value-based care and coordinated care. And that's a little trickier issue because there's some trade-offs there. And I think the Biden people will at least want to think about those issues before they move forward on a rulemaking. They may end up agreeing with what's come out of this administration, current administration, but they'll at least want to take a look at that. I think that's one of the interesting things that we've seen on the privacy front in general. You know, compare it to all the other or many other areas of regulation where industry has been coming in. And the current administration is, you know, let's, we can get rid of all kinds of regulations that regulate industry. The healthcare industry hasn't been trying to push for changes in the HIPAA rules because they generally work pretty well for, for everyone at this point. So, Kirk, you mentioned those proposed changes to HIPAA, and we're not really sure where that rulemaking is going to go next. But in the final weeks of his office, President Trump did sign into law the HIPAA Safe Harbor Bill, which amends the High Tech Act. And the bill requires the Department of Health and Human Services to take into account a covered entities or business associates use of industry standards, such as the implementation of the NIST cybersecurity framework when determining HIPAA violation fines and other sorts of enforcement actions. How soon do you think we might see the impact of that bill? And what do you think we might see first? That bill will need to get converted to a regulation. And there's, I think there's some time frames in the bill, although historically the government often doesn't meet those time frames when they're trying to write a regulation. So that will happen in the normal course, although it's obviously not the highest priority of the incoming administration. That's a funny bill in my mind. I mean, I, I think it's a useful bill. And what the bill basically does, from my perspective, is it formalizes something that the HHS Office for Civil Rights has been doing anyways, which is when HHS investigates covered entities under HIPAA or business associates under HIPAA, typically when there's been a security breach, their mindset is not, there's a breach, therefore you violated something. It's, okay, well, there was a breach, what had you done to prepare for that? What had you done before the breach to create good policies and procedures? What did you do during the breach to address it, to mitigate it, to investigate it? And what lessons have you learned after the breach? And so the government has always taken into consideration the steps that the, you know, I'll use hospitals as an example, the hospital had taken before that, before the incident happened. What this law is saying is they're making that formal. They're saying you have to look at UOCR, the Office of Civil Rights, have to look at whether the hospital implemented one of these industry standards, and if they did, you have to factor that into your evaluation. They, they do that anyway. So I'm not actually expecting this to have much of a real-world impact other than to make formal, a long-standing policy approach from OCR, which I suppose a, you know, a new OCR director could say, I don't want to follow the informal policies we've had in the past. I want to do something new. This law will restrict their ability to change their entire approach. I just haven't seen any indication that anybody wants to change their, their approach. I mean, it's a good, reasonable, thoughtful approach, which is consistent with how other privacy regulators act. The Federal Trade Commission goes through a similar kind of analysis when it's looking at whether to engage in an enforcement action. It matters what the company had done up front. Their security is not a perfection standard. And the fact that you had a breach does not mean that the government is going to penalize you. They're going to penalize you 
if you had a breach and the reason you had a breach is you hadn't done anything to prepare for it and you didn't meet industry standards and you didn't do a good job, you know, then they're going to penalize you. But if you can go in and convince them, you know, they're willing to listen, convince them of your plans and your preparations and explain what happened, explain why you fixed it and explain how you improved things, all the privacy regulators up to this point in time have listened to that kind of approach. So, Kirk, you mentioned the FTC. So what about the FTC and its enforcement of data security and privacy issues? How might that change under the Biden administration and under a new Congress? Would you see any sort of legislative changes to the FTC Act, for instance? What what might we see? Let's split that into two. One is what might we see with the FTC specifically, and second is, you know, legislative changes. The FTC has been really interesting recently, and one of the challenges the FTC has had in this area historically is that they are using the FTC Act, which was, was written into law in, I don't have the year exactly, but it was something like 1912. <laughs> it obviously had nothing to do with privacy or data security, and they've used this very general consumer protection framework to engage in enforcement on mostly data security, but some some privacy cases. And there's a pattern that they've gone through, and there's, there's just a limited number of steps they have taken to penalize companies because they don't have a lot of very specific authority under the FTC Act. Two of the FTC commissioners in particular who are in the minority under the current administration will become part of the majority under the Biden administration have been advocating for more aggressive action, even though the statute doesn't give a lot of opportunities. They obviously aren't saying do things we're not allowed to do, but they're looking for, they're pushing for more creative and aggressive approaches. And there's been a couple of cases recently where they've looked at and, and advocated for more aggressive penalties. There was a case where they, again, the result of the case was somewhat more aggressive action against the company that they took enforcement action against. So I would expect to see the FTC, even if there's no legislative changes, pursuing a somewhat more aggressive approach. And again, I don't think that's that's necessarily substantive in the sense of, I don't think they're going to say you had a breach, therefore we're going to penalize you. I think they're still going to look at the underlying behavior and stuff. What they're looking to be more aggressive on is where they've concluded that there's been a problem that wasn't justified then they're looking at taking more aggressive action. The second piece would be, could you change the FTC's authority to give them more authority? That's a much bigger question, and it gets wrapped up in the single biggest issue in this space right now, which is, is there going to be a national privacy law? You could envision sort of a mini national privacy law that does nothing more than supplement the FTC's authority under the FTC Act. You could give them penalty authority. You could give them rulemaking authority. That would be a very, not necessarily narrow isn't the right word because they could they could do a lot with that, but it would be a very specific and focused way to have a national privacy approach. Right now, there's a much more aggressive effort, expansive effort, maybe it's a better word than aggressive, to pass the national privacy law. The FTC and how the FTC works is wrapped up in that debate. I do expect, I mean, I, I had been saying before the election that I didn't think the who won the presidential race was going to have that much of an impact on a national privacy law. I do think that the fact that we have both a Biden administration and presumably now Democratic control of both houses of Congress I do think makes it somewhat more likely that there is a national privacy law 
sooner rather than later, but that soon isn't tomorrow. <laughs> it's still not the first priority on you know, the new administration or the new Congress. My prediction has been that there is a likelihood, a reasonable likelihood of a national privacy law during the first term of the Biden administration, but that's four years long. I think that the fact that there's democratic control of both the House and the Senate makes it more likely that that happens in two years rather than four years, but it's still a long shot for, say, 2021. And Kirk, what about state laws and state regulations? What are you watching in terms of data privacy and security legislation from the states in 2021, possibly? So the states are are, are really interesting and are part of the big sort of the, the overall puzzle on privacy. We had obviously the CCPA, California Consumer Privacy Act, went into effect in January of 2020. It's already been modified by a referendum that, that was passed in November, although those changes aren't going to take effect till 2023. One of the things that's been interesting is that we haven't yet seen other states follow California's lead. We haven't even seen that many states try to follow California's lead. So the big question that we're going to see in 2021 and years after that is whether other states are going to follow California's lead in passing a statewide general privacy law. We know that Washington is going to try to do it in 2021. There was an aggressive, expansive new bill introduced in New York. That doesn't mean it's going to get passed, but it was introduced. What the states are finding is, A, it's harder to pass a law than they thought it was going to be the California law had very specific process points that made it easy to pass that law. Those process points don't exist in other states, and so it's harder to pass these laws in other states. Similarly, I think the other big question is going to be if other states start to introduce these laws, will they in fact even look like the California law? Washington's law doesn't look much like California. The New York proposal just got introduced does look like California. My personal view is that the California history and the California process has been so bizarre that I don't think other states are actually going to follow California's substantive lead. I think they will follow the lead of trying to have a privacy law. So I expect we'll see one or two or three or four states try to move forward in 2021 I'm not putting a lot of money on them passing anything in 2021. I do think we will start to see states rev up on this over this year, next year. And I think that the question of whether there's going to be a national law is intersects with the state laws. What I've been saying is that if three to five states, probably meaningful states, not the tiniest states, meaningful states pass their own version of a, of a state law, I think that will put even more pressure on both Congress and industry to come together on a national law. But again, that's sort of a a sequence of events, and we'll see how that plays out. We we thought that might have happened in 2020, but that obviously got derailed by COVID because nothing else was happening other than focusing on COVID. So assuming we get into a point in 2021 where legislators are looking at other issues, I think we'll see movement. I think we'll see progress. I'm just not sure that progress is in 2021 going to get to the finish line. And finally, Kirk, in terms of the California CCPA, what was most bizarre about that that you think the other states are going to try to stay away from? Well, it's just, it's just the process was so weird. I mean, the, the, the process in California was that there was a referendum that was written that was going to go on the California ballot. And I'm doing this from the outside, but it seemed like nobody thought it was going to get on the ballot. And then all of a sudden it was on the ballot. And 
industry and, and privacy advocates for that matter woke up and said, oh my God, this bill's going to be on the ballot. We got to do something about it. And so they had a week to write a law. The, there was basically a deal that if the state passed a law that the drafters of the referendum could live with, they would pull the referendum. So they had a week to write a law. And these are complicated issues. And so if you look at that law, it's whatever you think of the politics and the policy of that law, it's not well written. And so you passed the law, they had amendments to the law, they had regulations, they now have the, a new referendum from, from the fall of 2020. I just think you wouldn't, you wouldn't sit down and start drafting a law where you had time to think about it and end up with what the California law is. So, and, and, and there are, for example, in the healthcare space, I've been using this example a lot. If you're a California resident under CCPA right now, your healthcare data is subject to at least six different regulatory structures. That's a crazy result. That's a, that's a result that I've been saying is bad for both consumers and healthcare businesses. I don't know why anybody would want to replicate that approach. And so I think that, you know, the Washington law, again, which was introduced last year as well, doesn't really look like California. I think if states had another model to look at, they would look at another model. And so I think the real question is going to be, if Washington passes a law this year, are other states going to follow Washington? Are they going to follow something that isn't yet written? Or are they going to look at California just because it's easy to look at a law that already exists and try to copy that? But I think that's, that's clearly one of the impediments to having more states get on this on this path. And it's, that it's just it's been... For those of us who have been following this issue, it's been a little surprising that more states haven't acted. I think they're going to get there, but they're not there yet. Thanks, Kirk. I've been speaking to Kirk Nara. I'm Marianne Kolbesak-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.